and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Remember, but they're not gonna laugh anymore. No more Maxi the Geek, no more Goof of the Week like before. No more algebra tests till September. No more looking at losers like him. No more having to cheat. No more and no welcome, more folks, no to the movie musical shakedown. I am your host, Chris Peterson, founder, editor, and chief of Onstage Blog at onstageblog.com, extremely goofy excited (laughs) that you're joining us this week for what should be a really insightful, fun, deep dive into one of my personal favorite movie musicals and a vastly underrated movie musical, if you ask me. Of course, we're talking about a goofy movie, and I've got a great guest co-host with me this week, Mr. Ned Donovan, who we had on last year, Um, so it's been a while. It's been a while and um, long overdue for his return to this podcast. So very excited to break this one down because this is one that we literally said last year during the Catstone Dance podcast, we have to do a Goofy movie next. So we've been putting it off. We've been putting it off. He's been just killing it in the world of podcasting. He's going to be telling you all the different things that he's involved with and uh, some of the really interesting things that he's involved with. And uh, yeah, I had a great time talking to him about this movie. This is a a personal favorite of mine. I saw it really at the, I guess you could say, the peak of my middle school going into high school experience. So I found the material extremely relatable. Um, And surprisingly, you know, when you look back on this, you know, years later, you know, you watch it as a father now, it takes out a whole different perspective and reveals, you know, some more genius about this movie. So really excited to break this down. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ned's going to be joining us. But first, as always, here's the trailer. Going somewhere, Pop? Sure are. It's a vacation with me and my best buddy, Donald Duck. No, silly. With you. <laughs> Uh, it's goofy. Give me a big Stop goofing around. In an outrageous full-length animated feature, we'll spend some real quality time together. I think I'm going to be sick. Walt Disney Pictures presents... Come on, this is going to be fun. The story of a father who couldn't be closer. What's the spirit, Maxie? God, this is embarrassing. To driving his son crazy. This is pathetic. Now, they're getting a crash course in becoming best friends. It's Bigfoot! Could you back up a bit, Mr. Foot? Uh, You're out of focus. And we're back, and I am once again joined by the legendary, and I'm going to say legendary, Ned Donovan. How are you, friend? I'm uh, le- I am apparently legendary. legendary. I just made a face. I realized it's audio, but I, I blanched at the <laughs> adjective. Uh, I-, I-, I am uh, overwhelmed. Thank you for the uh, epithet. 
Well, you're, you're just killing it in so many different directions. And I, I, I see your Facebook feeds. I see your social media. You just always are doing something in multiple different industries. And it's just, it's awesome to see someone who has their hands in, in so many different things. And we're going to get into later on when I ask you to, to plug certain things. I'm sure you've got a list of things that you can talk about. Um, but I, I definitely want people to know off, right off the bat that when it comes to podcasting uh, and just being just an amazing advocate for the arts, I mean, you really are just doing some amazing things, my friend. I really appreciate that, man. I, I, you know, I taught myself a lot of skills because I liked making art and I didn't know anyone who did the post-production side of things. And then fast forward a decade and a half, and now I spend a lot of my time podcasting and movie editing. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, speaking of which, we are doing, I mean, it's been a while since you and I have done this podcast. I mean, I think it's almost been a year. Crazy. Cats Don't Dance, I think, was, uh, uh, yeah, it was like late spring, probably late spring. May. Yeah, no, crazy. So it's it's long overdue for you to be back on this podcast. And well, I am you. so glad you're back because we are talking about both of ours, one of our favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I mean, we, we on, on in, I think, the outro of the Cats Don't Dance, you mentioned this movie and I immediately called tips. <laughs> Oh, so we're talking about the Goofy movie today, and um, it's an it's a classic film, incredibly underrated, um, and and it's since become a, a cult classic in a way. I just read an article about this being like a a real cult have has a cult following now. Um, Ned, I just want to ask you right off the bat, like when did you first see this movie? Tell me your initial reactions, everything about it. So. I've been trying to figure that out. So uh, for the listeners at home, I have three pages of notes from watching this movie the other night, but I also have a half page on trying to remember my path to this film. I I don't remember when I first saw this movie. Um, I think I saw it in theaters, um, but I was um, younger then. Uh, and... I remember it not being the one that caught me at the time. Mm. And then fast forward to like middle school, which would have been, you know, five, six years later. And I remember watching it at a, like a sleepover and being like, uh, this movie slaps. <laughs> and then uh, I sort of in, in high school, I forget one of our like, it was either senior week or spirit week or something like that. Someone did a choreographed dance to Powerline Eye to Eye. Stop it. And Ugh. I was like, oh, this is fabulous. And then I got to college and um, I came out of high school knowing very little about musical theater. I was a bad theater kid in high school in that I did all the theater, <laughs> but I didn't know anything. And I did a lot of sports and I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and I was just a weird kid. And I got to college for musical theater performance and like, all of my classmates were obsessed <laughs> and I was like, I, I remember liking this movie, but was it really like that much of, and we watched it, I think like six times in three weeks at one point, because it just became like an icon for me and some of my friends in college. And I've just held on to it ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. For me, I mean, I saw this probably, I think maybe I didn't see it in the theater. I know, I know that didn't happen, but I think I first saw it, on like a Disney channel, like encore presentation or something like that. And, um, I do remember catching it like right almost at the beginning of the movie. I think I, I literally turned it on like halfway through the opening number, which we'll definitely talk about. Um, and at that point in my life, I'm, I'm, this is the summer going into my freshman year of high school. Um, 
I was like hardcore into musical theater. I was all about theater. I wanted to do every show imaginable. And so that caught my eye right away. And I was like, oh, what is this? And uh, just, I just watching it, you know, and, and kind of taking in everything at the time. And I found it also very relatable as well. I mean, I, I won't say that my dad and I had a similar relationship, but I definitely saw things. I was like, you know what? I've had those exact interactions with my own father. Uh, and so I just found a lot of things really interesting about this movie right away. And then for like years after, I, I didn't admit to anybody publicly that I, I loved <laughs> this movie. Um, but just like you, until I got to college and I found other people that really liked it and were like, yeah, isn't it a great, you know, actual musical movie? And we're like, oh my God, that's crazy. So um, it's it's been an interesting ride with this film but you know it's funny when i rewatched it for this podcast it was the first time i actually watched it with my own son who's about to turn six years old and mm. i had a completely different viewing experience uh, watching it with him than you know as a teenager who has girl problems of his own and things like that so it it really is an interesting movie to watch it you know multi-generationally I mean i you know not to get too dark because this is a light movie but i i lost my father about Three, what year is it 2020 so four years ago now mm. and watching this is the first time I've watched it since then and like going back through just like my relationship with my father because you know fathers and sons teenagers and all that good stuff uh uh there's a lot in there where I was like oh I I had that conversation oh I got that annoyed like my dad was super into trying to get me into the things that he was into and I was like <laughs> I like theater and he was like I like baseball and I was like I don't it was a uh, and and I remember that vividly uh, and so that was an experience I definitely had for the first time watching it this time. That's awesome. What do you think it is about this movie that has made it, I, I guess you could call it the cult hit that it is? Powerline. I mean, <laughs> the answer is Powerline. Like, the answer is is Powerline. It's incredible. Uh, there's no other answer to this. It's eye to eye, and it's, oh my God, stand out. Is that what it's yep, called? Yep, yep. Stand out. Like, and, and I pulled that out when I, I watched this with my girlfriend the other day, and uh, I pulled out both of those titles without even thinking about them. <laughs> and I hadn't watched this movie in like five <laughs> to 10 years. Like I, Powerline is the reason it holds true because at the end of the day, the movie's great, but even even she who had seen this movie before uh, was like, I don't remember this movie being a musical. Like what she remembered was Powerline. <laughs> mm. You know, I think that's actually, that's a really good note on her part because I guess you could say, yeah, this movie, it doesn't have that like part of your world, you know, Beauty and the Beast type of iconic song that like everybody knows, you know, from this movie, so to speak. So the movie really does, I think the music feats, uh, excuse me, is is really seamless to the, the actual film itself. Um, but yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, Powerline is like the, the iconic thing that comes out of this. Um, and I just, I, I can't remember where it was, but I just saw an online discussion like on someone's Facebook page about Powerline and I got all into it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I messaged you, uh, on Facebook saying like, when are we doing this? What a couple weeks ago now. Yep. And, uh, I did it right after I woke up singing after today. <laughs> like I woke up singing, I'm on a sit on my butt. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh my God, Chris and I need to do this movie. We have to. We have to. Oh, well, I'm so glad we got into it. Um, let me ask you about this this acting, this voice cast that we got out of this movie. I mean, it, it is one of those rare kind of uh, you know animated movies that you really do get some some remarkably good vocal performances out of characters that you might not expect them 
too. I mean, you've got Bill Farmer doing, you know, his his signature goofy um, voice. Jason Marston as Max. Um, but I, I I found in this movie that the the depth that they went to was astonishing for an animated film. What did you What did you notice about that kind of stuff? So my I had a couple of major thoughts as it related to watching this film. Uh, uh, like my biggest thought was like. I'm surprised they didn't do something more like uh, Cats Don't Dance, where they dubbed over some of the voice actors who weren't necessarily singers. Like, this is a Disney movie that does not focus on pitch-perfect performance in the Mm. vocals, which I found really fascinating because this was produced at a time where pitch-perfect vocals were, like, all the rage. Right. Like, this movie came out, and, like, you know, uh, Jason Marsden, who is... um, I had thought until I did some research on this podcast that he was James Marsden's brother. He's not, uh, <laughs> no relation. Um, but he, he is fine. Right. Like I, I would maybe cast him if he came in singing at my EPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, but I found, I mean, Bill Farmer, obviously the goofy voice is classic, but there's, I wrote like 18 separate times during this recording, like Goofy is one hell of a sympathetic character. You can't... I remember as a kid thinking Max was kind of an asshole, but recognizing myself in him. But, like, looking at it now, there's, like, nothing... Like, it's such a great movie because it almost makes the protagonist the antagonist for a while. Mm. Uh, And they want you to think Pete is the antagonist, which also, like, just talking on the voice cast, I was looking through because I wanted to, to check kind of, like, who everyone was and what everyone was doing... And um, both Pete and PJ Pete are the exact same age, and they're both like thirty years older than Jason Marston. <laughs> That's right. And I found that really fascinating because, of course, in voice acting, it's just about what your output is. <laughs> uh, I love it. I mean, you know, uh, Rob Paulson, who does the voice of PJ. I mean, he also is uh, Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. Um, Great. Same guy. And I was just like, what an incredible. What just an incredible voice he has to be able to do these multiple characters. But yeah, I mean, you're hearing these iconic voices like the Pete character, the Goofy character. But they're having these conversations in this movie that are just like beyond, you know, what you typically get from them. And they they talk about relationships and, you know, you know, the the fear of, of fatherhood and trying to bring up kids. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a Goofy movie. Like, oh, my God. You know, they're really having some really interesting uh, conversations on that end. Um. I, I loved the casting of Kelly Martin and Jenna Van Oy and just all these other like, you know, side characters that, um, and I'll be honest, I had a crush on Roxanne growing up. In sure. Arizona. Come on now. Who didn't? But I mean, you just had a really awesome cast um, top to bottom. I mean, but Jim- shout out to also to Wallace Shawn <laughs> as right? the principal. I heard that voice and I was like, holy crap. Like, like, what a, to me almost, he ended up the most famous of the people that ended up in this movie. Right. Right. No, he, and he's fantastic. Interesting note, though. So we all know that Polly Shore uh, played Bobby, you know, the, yes. the ch- Tower of Chisa. Um, but he goes uncredited in the movie. And I, for years, I've been trying to figure out, like, why why was that? Like, why was he uncredited? Um, and I couldn't find a definitive answer. Did you find anything in your research about that? No. In fact, until right now, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, <laughs> uh why would that 
be? I, I it is it is baffling to me. I mean, Joey Lawrence is also in the movie too. Uh, he plays the jock that like asks Roxanne what she's you know, hey Roxanne about Friday's party. That's Joey Lawrence. But like, yeah, like Pauly Shore is uncredited. And so I remember the original like. Uh, Cat, you know, when you're looking at the end credits, I'm looking for Pauly Shore's name. It's not on there. IMDb only lists him as uncredited. Um, so yeah, it's just really interesting that that uh, he just he went uncredited. And then like I read an article on Vice.com a couple of years ago, where like apparently he had never even seen the movie. So he's that's like well, and he's like, I mean, I haven't watched an extremely recently, but isn't he a major character in an extremely goofy movie? He is. I think he's in the credits in that. I, I'd have to go back and check, but I think he's in the credits for that. Wow, that's so. I did not even notice <laughs> little, until right now. Little that things is here. fascinating to me. Because <laughs> why would he not want? To, like, did, did he go? Did he have one of those moments? Like sometimes actors are like, I don't want to be associated. But like, why? Why? It's a Disney movie. I mean, yeah. and, and this is post like Encino Man. Post like I think it's probably right around Biodome. So like he's he's it's I, it's probably his peak of his popularity at that point. I'm like, yeah, it's one more thing to. I don't know if it messes up his his street cred to be in a Disney memory. I, I, who knows? Who knows? Also, just to just to update myself because uh, uh, I'm here. Uh, Max Goof was actually voiced by Aaron Lore doing the singing. Oh, that's right. I I had written that down. I I completely forgot from which I I find yeah. fascinating as a Mighty Ducks-er. <laughs> there you I go. Know that. I know Aaron Lore from the Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. Right. I mean, he's in Newsies. He's now married to Adina Menzel. So, like, he's he's doing pretty good. So. Uh, Adina Menzel, don't get mad at me for saying I didn't like your husband singing. There you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. Well, let's get into the categories, my friend. Let's let's break it down. Let's do it. So, our first category uh, is Dusty Room Moments. Now, we know that this, these movies... Uh, sometimes there's some emotional high points. They leave some some apples and you know growing in the throat and things like that. Um, Aaron, oh, excuse me, Ned. I'm I'm getting my names mixed up today because I just just I recorded hold, something with. Some I won't hold Ned. it against you, right? Um, did you have any dusty room moments with this movie? You know, I did. I did. Uh, 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 I. So uh, I forget. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, PG thirteen swearing. Great. Uh, I won't say what I wrote like 12 <laughs> times, but one of them is Goofy's F it, man. What a well-made character. It's hard to sympathize with Max, but this, and uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to piss off people on this moment, but this is the kid who royally screws up story that Dear Evan Hansen's wishes it was. Mm. Like, like this movie, I got dusty because this movie hit me in so many I remember as a kid telling a lie that I got trapped in and being unable to find my way out of it and I remember having that feeling watching Dear Evan Hansen but I came out of Dear Evan Hansen and I honestly loved every second of the show until the final scene spoilers where I thought to myself like did the kid just get away with fraud like I, I found myself having trouble because the, the extent of the lie was so extreme right. that I had trouble forgiving him. But in this movie, like, I, I remember moments like what Max finds himself in. He's so desperate to be liked, and he actually has attention for once, that he doesn't want to screw it up. So he finds himself trapped in a lie he can't get himself out of, and now he has to figure it out. Now, because it's a Disney movie, like, yeah, he is gonna end up on stage with Powerline. But also, Goofy makes him tell her. 
Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. th this movie is to me the story that I wish Dear Evan Hansen ended in, in terms of like a high school kid who gets stuck in a lie he can't get himself out of, who keeps screwing up and along the way learns something valuable. Like this, this movie tells that story for me better than any. So I teared up real hard when Goofy discovered that the map had been changed. And I teared up real hard, even at the possum section, because I felt so bad for Goofy. Hmm. Like, he, he's trying so hard, and Max, yeah. I'm not mad at Max, I get why Max is angry, but it's it's weird because Max doesn't recognize Goofy's motivations, because Goofy's trying so hard to not pretend like he got told his kid might end up in jail. Right, right. No, and it's funny, as I was watching this, um, I started thinking, like, you cannot make this movie with any other Disney character. It no. Can, it can only be with Goofy. You do it with um, Mickey and the voice is going to annoy you. You yep. do it with Daffy and there's too many like Daffy yuck yuck jokes. Donald, like, Donald Duck. There you go. Donald, yeah. Donald, yeah. Donald, Donald. Yes. Like you have to do it with Goof. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has a range. And I think the, the and you kind of hit it like, you know, where the, the root of Max's angst, his issues. I mean, people forget this is a single parent household and we yeah. don't, we're never really given, I guess, a definitive reason why it's a single parent household. Um, and I don't think it's it, addressed, is it? it? It It is very early addressed, and my interpretation was that mom is dead. Yeah, me too. Um, it's in the very opening scene when he wakes up before after today, um, when Goofy is vacuuming. Mm. Um, he says something about uh, if your mom were here. Um, but it's it's brief, and it's thrown off, and it's said in such a way, in such a loving way, that it doesn't sound like they got divorced. It sounds right. like Goofy lost mom and is desperately trying to be mom. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's never a moment watching this show where I'm ever like, man, Max is getting the short end of the stick here. I feel like Max is sympathetic, but it really is like whenever Goofy's trying so hard and it's not working, I am dusty eyed, dusty, dusty roomed immediately. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I also like the fact that they didn't really kind of hit us over the head with, with the, the absence of, of mom and the reasons Agreed. why. Um, it, they kind of left it open, kind of like what Toy Story did, where it, it's never really explained, but it's kind of is. Uh, but yeah, again, it's not made overly obvious. I love that. Um, I mean, I, I think Disney has always had a, a, a an interesting track record on the sentence representation matters because like, you know, you have stories like out of Mulan where Harvey Firestein was unwilling to voice Mao until because he wanted more Asian American actors to have, to have uh, roles. But mm -hmm. you also, you know, but you also have like, representation has only mattered in terms of like color and even now just barely sexuality spectrum in the last few years. Right. But in terms of like world experience, they always did a great job at representing a spectrum of how kids are stuck in different situations. I feel like, like the single parent thing I think is very true. You know, you have even just Disney movies where there are no parents. You have a lot of conversations about like what it means to be a kid when the, the nuclear family is blown up. Right. Right. No, you're hundred percent right. Uh, for me, I mean, I only found myself again, watching it with my son. Um, I only found myself getting really emotional during the high dad soup talk. Oh, high dad soup is brutal, man. It's brutal. And I'm oh. sure, I mean, for any parent watching this, um, you're, you're probably gonna have a similar reaction, but for, something about a dad and son watching that scene, it, 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 that, that, that punched me in the gut this time around in a way that it hadn't 
before. And well, uh, and, and and the music is so interesting because I want to get teared up at things like Open Road, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I really, like I said, I forgot how musical theater this movie is because I really remember Powerline, but Powerline feels like a cutscene, right? You forget how much it, there's an ensemble and these songs feel like you could you could put Open Road on a Broadway stage right now oh, and yeah. it would stand in 100%. The River song, same exact thing. Like... And uh, uh, that to me almost detracted from a little of my emotional connection to it because I found the jarring nature of knowing that Powerline is the anthem of this movie with songs like Open Road to just be completely stylistically at odds. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, all right, well, moving on. How about any yeesh moments? Anything not age well? You're like, ugh, that didn't really make sense. Or just anything that was like, you know, looking through it at a 2020 lens just didn't really fit in the film. Um, I I often say like we're all going to be saved when the current generation of high school kids gets out of school mm-hmm. like I feel like there is a, a social activism and a real pushback against um, the 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 classic movie high school experience today there's a lot more acceptance there's a lot more let people be who they are right. in high school these days so i found just after today to feel a little bit like watching grease in 2020 mm. like the jockstrap flinging the like <laughs> the like girls with very little uh uh very little personality attributed to them because they're just meant to be arm candy for the jock who's also right. kind of annoying. Like those were the things to me that I was like, ooh, if you made this today, it would be significantly different for what they represented as high school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That I mean, was you, really it. I mean I noticed, yeah, during that number, like, you know, the 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 larger girl passing out from gym class and things like just little you know stereotypes like that. I was like, eh, that 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 probably wouldn't be doesn't track. Yeah, it doesn't track. Well, and, well. and and I also I think I got a lot of yeesh moments from just like when you think goofy, Pete has always been an antagonist, but he's still always Goofy's friend. And like this was one of the first times I can really remember thinking like, man, Pete in the entire ethos of Goofy is a bad person. And why Goofy keeps him around is beyond me. Mm. You know, it's funny. That was actually a question I had about this movie. I was like, is this the most villainous we've ever seen Pete as a character in a movie? Yeah, he's always a jerk, but he's never been someone as I remember. And I, I'm having trouble thinking back through all of Goofy, but I don't remember Pete being willfully, willfully hurtful. I remember him always needing to be top dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dogs. But I, I remember him always needing to be like, the king alpha dog in the relationship, but I never remember him like going out of his way to harm Goofy. Now this movie does an interesting job because it sets it up like Pete is jealous of Goofy, right. which I find interesting. But even then, like I don't remember Pete being quite so much of a of a villain. I just remember him being a jerk. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it just took a different level, especially that that. You know, that t- talk that he had in the hot tub before, you know, Goofy looks at the map and um, just little things, you know, especially at the beginning during the photo session where he's like, you know what, y- your kid's going to end up in, you know, causing riots and things like that. I'm just like, wow, like he's messing with a household, like he's messing yes. with a family. I'm like, that's a different level of villainy that we but just haven't seen. I feel like it's also implied that, and I think this is an interesting thing I hadn't really thought about till right now, Pete is also a single parent household. Yeah. 
So, mm-hmm. like, it's two single dads making up for moms that aren't there with kids, and one of them feels competitive with the other. Like, that's actually a really interesting plot line. And if you really lean into the fact that Pete seems to be jealous of Goofy in many ways because he's better with kids than he is, I think that is a really wonderful place to take it. But I don't think they explored it enough to make me not just hate Pete. Wow. Yeah, I've never even thought about that before. You're 100% right. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. You know, the only yeesh, real yeesh moment that I had, uh, and it wasn't even a yeesh moment. It was just like, okay, that that <laughs> doesn't make sense. The geography in this movie is all over the place. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't ask questions about can't that Can't ask map. questions. I mean, you know, they're driving and it shows the car and it, apparently like they're in Mississippi, but the next thing you see they're on the beaches of Florida. I'm like, where are they? Yeah, like, yeah we can't. <laughs> We can't ask. Well, if you look at the map, the, the route is a curlicue. It's like big loop-de-loop circles across the country. And you're like, you did this in six days with your dad? All right. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. Yeah, so if you're looking for geographic accuracy, do not come uh, to this movie. How about any lingering questions? Anything that this movie did not answer for you? Uh, what happens next? Not at the Ooh. end of the film, because mm-hmm. we have a movie, but I want to know when Powerline is like, all right, we'll do this weird dance thing. <laughs> what happened then? Like, I want to know how we got from on stage with Powerline to the beat up car somehow driving back into town after driving back across the country. There's an entire movie there. Yeah. Like, what happened? Did they get tackled? Did Powerline say anything to them? Did they get to shake Powerline's hand? Like, (laughs) these are the questions I have. I want to know if Tevin Campbell got given scenes that they took out of this film. Because also, shout out to Tevin Campbell. He's what I remember about this movie. That voice is butter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, he's, he's fantastic. And, like, again, you talk about, like, you know, underrated things about Goofy Movie. I mean, Tevin Campbell, just as a artist as a singer just chilling just chilling Ugh, crazy crazy um my, my the lingering question i had was okay even though that goofy gives like the navigation duties to uh max which by the way the reaction of the fellow diners when he makes that proclamation is amazing they like they start applauding for max like he had just you know been bestowed like this incredible award <laughs> it's just like my son's gonna be the navigator of the trip and he gets like a standing o in the diner i thought that was great um, yeah i mean like that's the musical theaterness of this movie that's <laughs> oh, it right there right there um but so max is navigating but goofy's driving so how is goofy not seeing oh by the way we're not headed you know to the pacific northwest direction we're actually going to the south southwest um how did he not see this or coming earlier in terms so, of yeah, I have a couple thoughts on that. I think at the end of the day, the the implication is that the map takes them to the juncture they ended up at, and the only thing Max changed was the left or right. Oh, okay. That's, I think, the implication I take away, is that they did follow the exact route. The only thing Max changed was what happens at the end. Wow. Uh, I don't think that makes any sense from a geography standpoint, but I think that's the idea is that Goofy is like, all right, I know if I go right, then the map hasn't been changed. And if I go left, then it has, you know, that's how I kind of interpreted that. And that's a great point. And I think in hindsight, when they're editing this film and they're, you know, printing this together, I would have almost wished that they put that changing the map scene after he had been named the navigator, because it doesn't make sense. 
before because it's like he's changing the route, but he's not the navigator yet. So dad's going to clearly see. And the... Goof doesn't look ahead. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, in hindsight, they, I would have just, you know, flipped that. But uh... I also I, I have a lot of questions. I, I This is a non sequitur, but I, I wrote it down and I just got to it on my page. If you, Chris Peterson, think back on this film, you think back on your memory prior to watching it the other night with your son. Do you remember any of the Bigfoot sequence? I remember the the staying alive. I remembered none of it. <laughs> I wrote down I would watch the Bigfoot puppet show for hours. <laughs> but like I when Bigfoot showed up and then had like 20 minutes of plot, I wrote down who remembered that Bigfoot is a plot driver in this film? <laughs> like, I don't remember that big like, that. And again, this is the musical theaterness. I don't remember this movie being this big, in like a style stand. Right, right. No, it's I a don't good remember point. that at all. Like, Bigfoot is a plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually coming up to the scene, uh, I, com- I had similarly kind of forgot where it was. In the movie, and I, as soon as like they got to that campsite, I was like, "Oh, that's right, the Bigfoot comes, and they, that's you know cat, is the catalyst for the high dad soup um, situation and whatnot." But uh, which, by the way, after this movie, I totally thought that I could probably heat up a, a bowl of or a cup of soup with a cigarette lighter. Um, oh, and did you try it ever? Because like I probably did. I I did not try, but I remember looking at that cigarette lighter a lot when I was driving the car and thinking that I could heat up food using it so since we just talked about the river moment i want to write down i think one uh i don't know who, who wrote the score here so it's a um good question um i have it pulled up let me see here music by i have it down as where is it there were actually a bunch of writers when it came to the music because they actually had multiple people so tom snow and jack feldman looks like they did the um you know, after today and on the open road and things like that. But then Kevin Quinn did Lester's Possum Park. Um, Tevin Campbell and Rosie Gaines actually wrote all the, the, the power line stuff apparently. So yeah, they had, they had multiple writers on this thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm now, I have the Wikipedia up. So Jack Feldman of Newsies fame, shout out, Mm -hmm. wrote a bunch of these songs, but um, I, I, I think one of my favorite jokes in this whole movie is when they're on the uh the river whatever that song is called yep no one else but you yep no one else but you hey tom snow and jack feldman and uh he says askew and max says gesundheit or other way around and goofy says gesundheit and i wrote down what that is so musical theater, and I love it. I want to steal it. I want to put it in my own musicals. Like, that is such a good joke. Anyway, it's shout so out to Jack Feldman. Shout out. I mean, I've actually, I've, I've, I've sat in um, uh, auditions where someone has done one part of that song. Um, really? Yeah. It, I, it, it was great. Like, it, I remember sitting, I was like in third row. It was a BFA kind of, um, you know, big unified type of audition. There's like 30 schools in the room. This kid gets up and he's like, uh, and for my musical choice, I'll be doing no one else, but you from a goofy movie. And I almost clapped out loud. 
<laughs> I would have. Like, I used to <laughs> monitor those auditions at Ithaca when I was a student. And, like, when kids told me they had exciting choices, I got stoked. Yeah. Like, if someone told me they were doing On the Open Road, I would have said, I hope you get in. <laughs> immediately. Like, just immediately accept the student. So, yeah. there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into the, the singing, the dancing, the acting, uh, and design of this movie. And let's rate each one, you know, one through ten and give some reasons why. Um. So now I'm going to start with you. Singing, one through ten. What did you give this movie and why? Four to five. Ten for Tevin Campbell. Mm. Um, This movie's not about the voices, and I actually was surprised that they didn't get people to do the character voices on pitch. Like, I found after today, shockingly... uh, uh, I just found... I found the vocals of Max to be... Well, and I think it actually helps the movie, but pedestrian like Mm. it was very normal which i think helps the character but i'm surprised by it in a disney movie the voices were not stand out to me anywhere except tevin campbell everything about tevin campbell is an asterisk um and uh uh i mean you know it's an animated movie so hard to to rate the dancing but i will say specifically on the open road I found to be such a delightful moment with like the prison character is shockingly depressing. <laughs> right? But like the choreography of the cars and how they play together and it had to be written that the car had to get pushed off the road by this next line. Like I found that to be really fascinatingly well done. Um so, you know, choreography for what it is, I'm in. Vocals, that's nah, a four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. Tevin Campbell asterisk brings the whole average up, but, um, I gave it a six and I think I was being generous at that point. So, um, yeah, right there with you. And you just mentioned dancing. There is a little bit of choreography in this movie. So what did you think about that? Like the perfect, I wrote, uh, uh, in all caps, the period, perfect period cast period is period gold period. (laughs) So, uh, we can, we can give it and plus yes. Staying alive with Bigfoot. Also weird song to license for this film. Right. Uh, (laughs) What a weird, like they paid the rights for that. Uh, so, so that was that those things I think were perfect. I think it's hilarious that the perfect cast turned into something. Um, I think after today is a delight to watch, um, same with On the Open Road. So I'll give the choreography for whatever ography a Disney animated should get. I'll give it a solid eight or nine. Yep, yep. I gave it an eight as well. I mean, the perfect cast, which, by the way, as soon as they introduced it, I was like, okay, this is important for some reason uh, down the road. I don't know what it is yet, but I, I should remember that about this per- this perfect cast thing. Um, but yeah, no, it was great. And even actually as I was watching you know, eye to eye, I was actually paying more attention to the background dancers and their routine. And I was just like, wow, they're actually doing some some pretty good choreography there. Which, by the way, have you seen um, the YouTube video of the 20th anniversary union of this at the D23 co- uh, convention? Uh, no, but I am currently typing it into my <laughs> computer to look up later. So, Tevin Campbell performs live. Tevin oh. Campbell performs live and with background dancers. And um, they Is it actually, awesome? It's amazing. They, and they actually do the choreography. Um, oh, amazing. So it's it's fantastic. So yeah, it, if you get a chance, it's on YouTube. You can watch the entire hour-long panel. They've got practically the entire cast there um, and talking about like little tidbits here and there and uh, whatnot. And at the end, of they surprised the audience with a Tevin Campbell uh, performance, which I thought was amazing. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. So I, I will, listeners, uh, you know, tweet at us and tell us what you think. Please do. Please do. Um, how about the acting in this movie? Top-notch. Uh, mm. I 
think this movie is for how I mean it's funny we were talking about uh, Pinky and the Brain Animaniacs earlier but for how absurd the actual physics of the world are the acting I think is surprisingly grounded mm. from everyone on down including Principal Mazer like until he kind of goes insane on Goofy like he's a relatively sympathetic principal like he just wants kids to like him uh, I think, I think I wrote down the only character that, and, and by the way, I think she was impeccably acted. Um, um, the only character that I'm confused by on a character standpoint was, uh, oh my God, back to the first page of notes that I took. Um, oh my God, where is it? Uh, uh, Stacy, is that her name? Yeah, Stacy, the, the class what president. What a weird character. I have no idea what archetype they're going for. She exemplified like nine of them. <laughs> and also, she, what person gets to advertise a class party at a school assembly? At a school Did assembly. Did we have different parties when we were in high school? I guess. And plus, how big is her house if she's expecting the entire school to Yeah, I was like, she's loaded. Right? <laughs> oh, craziness, craziness. Um, yeah, I gave it I gave it uh, a 10 as well. I, it, just because you're just getting some quality performances out of everybody and I, I mean kelly martin as roxanne is just the cutest i'm just little the little quirks like playing with her hair and things like that that they included um it just fit perfectly with the character and um it just yeah i i just love everything about this cast so yeah i gave it a 10 on that end um and we talked a little bit about this before but the design of the movie what did you what did you think about the design overall it was significantly more it was significantly bigger than I remembered. Yeah. I I can't decide it was a good thing or a bad thing. I think I was pleasantly surprised by how much I didn't remember. Um, but I don't know I don't know how which way I fall on whether it was good or bad. Um, <laughs> it was so big, like it was so slapstick, which makes sense. It's goofy, but I remember the movie being so small, and I think that's a testament to the voice acting that I don't wonder if the design and the voice acting don't quite line up or maybe they line up perfectly. I'm having a tough time with this question. <laughs> I, um, you know, I often wonder if cult classics are cult classics because someone saw something in society that reviewers weren't ready for, or if cult classics are cult classics because they made a movie that wasn't great, but kids loved them. And then they started to love them more when adults hated them. Like I have trouble recognizing what makes a movie go from being pretty panned to being beloved mm. um and so i i think there is a disconnect between the design and the script but i also think they somehow managed to pull it off in a way that i would rate positively yeah yeah I, that's a great point because i think with a movie like this I think the temptation is to go big and grand with some of these locales, especially when you're going into the the Grand Canyon and some you know some of these different different locations. Um, but I kind of liked how they almost scaled it back, so this way it's not outshining um, everything else. But yeah, little things like that, like the um, like the motel with the the, the sea theme. Uh, the ocean yeah, the sea stuff. theme was weird. Also, shout out to waterbeds. Hadn't thought about waterbeds in a good hot second. Right? Waterbeds. I mean, Pete's like ridiculous RV. Um, like little also, touches like that. I also wrote down this parachute sequence is insane. <laughs> it is absolutely insane. They float up for some reason. Uh, uh, I also wrote a yeesh moment I forgot about uh, to Max... 
towards the end of the film with the backup dancers, I wrote the extreme butt checkout hasn't aged well. No, <laughs> no. And also Goofy walking into the wrong dressing room and just standing there. Uh, it's like, yeah, that doesn't age well either. But um, wow. Yeah. And also I appreciated the thing I also appreciated this movie was the costume choices uh, yeah. for some of these characters. Like Max, I dressed like that in high school. Like that's exactly what I wore. Uh, like the baggy pants, hoodie sweatshirt, trying to be cool. Goofy gloves. Goofy gloves and all. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so just little things like that. I really, really appreciated uh, on that end as well. Um, all right, well, let's get into the musical numbers themselves because we've been talking about a lot of them. Um, numbers that we needed, obviously not applicable here because it's not you know based on a, a previous uh, material. But um, anything that we could do without, would you, would you cut any songs from this movie or change them? I don't know. I was, I had forgotten, much like with my girlfriend, how musical theater this movie was, mm. because what I remembered was Powerline. So what I think I I forgot about was how the music wasn't Powerline. Like, this music is not, it is so musical theater. On the open road, nobody else but you. Like, they are... They are musical theater pieces that do not match eye to eye and stand out. Right. Um, and so in some ways, I want to say I could do without them. And yet watching them, I almost found myself going, these are actually better representations of the movie as a whole than stand out and eye to eye. So I don't think there's any I would remove, but I will just highlight there's a supreme disconnect in the music that I wish was a little less. I wish that chasm was a little less big. That's a good point. That's a good point. And actually, as I was watching this, I, I kind of started that argument with myself was, does this movie need more songs? Um, and I found I, I figured it didn't. I, I kind of came to that no. decision. I was like, you've got the perfect number here. It does um, not need any more. Yeah, you don't. You don't need. Roxanne doesn't need a solo. Like Pete doesn't need a song. Like you're, you're, you're good. Um, they got know? two fathers and son songs out. Like right. they're good. They're good. They're good. Uh, how about anything that you're gonna fast forward to in this movie? Like you're gonna go directly to this like four or five minute sequence. Uh, at the top of the movie, that first scene, I did find myself thinking, "Ooh, I can't wait for after today." Hmm. I did find myself doing that um, for sure. Uh, so that would be the only thing. Yeah. Um, but, but like that scene doesn't feel entirely necessary. I do find the, the oversleeping because the clock just doesn't work to be a weird plot. That's funny. <laughs> um, uh, no, there was nothing that I felt I didn't need watching it. I was never like checking my watch. Um, but the closest would be just going straight to after today. There you go. There you go. Um, all right. Well, let's give out some pretty prestigious awards uh, for this podcast. The first of being is the Julie Award, which goes to who we felt uh, was the best singer in this movie. So, Ned, who gets your vote? Tevin Campbell. Yeah. Does, I mean, is that an asterisk? <laughs> Do we have to pick someone else? You know what? Let's try. Let's can can you can we try? I mean, it's 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 kind of far uh, and away the winner, but yeah. Like, let's see if we can pick somebody else. Uh. Uh. In After Today, there's one guy in the little bridge where they go, da 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 Yeah, one of those guys has a remarkably better than everyone else voice. I don't remember which one it is, but I remember watching it the other night going, oh, so shout out to that guy. 
uh, that's my Julie award. That's not for Tevin Campbell. There you go. I'm going to give it to probably during the open road sequence, the singing nuns. I, apparently. That's, oh, the nuns are dope. Yeah. The nuns are great. And they show up later in the diner scene. So apparently they're on the same, they're going to the Powerline concert. I had the same <laughs> thought. Uh, I wish they, I wish we saw them in the audience of the Powerline concert. Cause that would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, the singing I nuns, bet they're there somewhere. They're there. If we go Let's back and, mic- and like microscope it, they're there somewhere. They're definitely there. They're definitely there. Uh, how about you, any Russell Crowe awards for the, Worst or least great singer in this movie? No. The movie as a whole doesn't focus too much on singing. No one was straight out bad. Yeah. Um, uh, there was no one there that I was like, man, this is a musical theater movie and you're not doing it. Because everyone to me was kind of uh, normal sounding. I couldn't take, I can't give a detractor award. <laughs> there you go. Love it. Uh, I was the same way. I was like, yeah, there's no one here that's that's... Yeah, I, that's like the maybe anchor. whoever's voicing the possums, but that's on purpose. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, how about your bumbling award? Any secondary characters, um, cameos, background like that kind of just stole your your eye for longer than they were on screen? Uh, uh I mean, Polly Shore. Mm-hmm. Right, like everyone remembers the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. Everybody remembers Everybody. the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. So it has to go to Bobby. What's his name? Wachowski, uh, which I, I can't even pronounce his name. Watch yeah. it, uh, uh, Zimaruski. Zimaruski, there you go. Uh, yeah, Bobby Zimaruski, because the Leaning Tower of Cheese is something I have quoted since I was seven years old. <laughs> I love it. For me, I actually gave uh, two. It was a tie. Um, I, I One of them, which I had to give it to the little girl at the Possum Park. Uh, sure, yeah. She, missing it, half her teeth. Love it. Um, especially when she's singing along. With the possum song and just going yada 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 yada, it's fantastic. Great job on that end. Uh, and then, um, oh my gosh, who was my second one? Oh, if you're watching uh, during the uh, on the open road sequence, there's at one point this car's trunk opens oh. up and there's a guy. There's a guy who's been kidnapped. <laughs> he's been kidnapped and he's got a cement around his feet. He's tied up. I mean, he's he's on his way to being killed. And also, there's a zombie in that sequence. Yes. Yep. There's an actual dead person. That's what I mean. Like, where are we? By the what way, what are the rules? I mean, if this is a Yish moment or not, I mean, Goofy and Max kill two people in this movie. Uh, if if <laughs> they they kill the mime when Goofy cuts the string and the piano lands on top of the mime, uh, correct montage, and then Max presumably kills that security guard. Uh, at the concert when they're like swooping, the guy gets launched into the video screen and electrocuted to death. So- oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. If we want to this- take cartoon physics out of it, then there you go. Yeah. It's, and I think the voice acting is what makes this feel like it wasn't meant to be a cartoon, but because it's goofy, they're leaning into the cartoon. I do agree. There's a disconnect there because <laughs> it's just very, uh, uh, surprising. There you go. There you go. Uh, final question for you, my friend. Should this get a remake slash onstage adaptation? No. Yeah, me too. Uh, no. No, the movie's great. It would not work on stage. Uh, road tri- uh, uh, Hot take. Road trip musicals are almost exclusively disappointing on stage. <laughs> oh, gosh, how many... How many- have you seen? I, I can't even think of any. Off the I top can of my head. think of four. Go ahead. That I don't uh, I don't know that I want to name them because <laughs> uh, a couple of them were either featuring friends of mine or uh, uh, I really disliked the Little Miss Sunshine musical. Oh, okay. Uh, there you go. I did not care for what was that um, 
um, louder milk and Kerrigan. Uh, uh, let's go. The one that that song is from. Couldn't even tell. Um, <laughs> uh, f- the one where freedom is from. Hold on, louder milk and Kerrigan. Free. I'm gonna get hated by the internet. By the way, that's like everyone loves that song. I love the song. I didn't like the show when I saw it. Uh. I don't remember what it's from. Someone, oh, it's it's from the um, uh, unauthorized autobiography of Samantha Brown. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, oh, what were the other two? I'm picturing them in my, oh, you know what does get the exception? Because it's just a car scene. My favorite stage musical of all time is Passing Strange, and the scene in the VW oh. Bug is one of my favorite scenes in any show ever so in that regard someone did it right but a whole show built around a thing like at the end of the day we're going to get back in a prop car and drive in a circle somewhere though i am writing a uh uh if i can someday get the rights an adaptation to the phantom toll booth uh, as a stage musical i know there's already one before you guys at me i don't like it uh so i want to write it better because it's my favorite novel as a kid and uh that will be a, that's all about a road trip. So I got to figure out this problem soon. <laughs> Talk about trippy animated movies, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just read the book. Don't see the, don't see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think, yeah, it, this is not one of those things you can bring to stage. And um, 100% agree with, with road trip musicals. It's, it's hard. I think the only one that, that to me worked was Violet. Uh, you know, the, the Janine Tesori piece, but like, that's I <laughs> I saw that revival. Uh, I love "On My Way." That used to be the first song I listened to on every road trip in mm. high school, college. I love that song. Also, shout out to Janine Tesori. That song features my favorite key change in musical theater history. Uh, it is so smooth. Um, uh, it is so good. Um, uh, I don't love the show because I get annoyed by the road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. I cannot wait. to If you ever do get around to that Phantom Tollbooth thing, I cannot wait <laughs> to see it. Cause that's- I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to have to let a director figure it out. There you go. There you go. Um, well, Ned, this has been, again, an amazing pleasure to have you on this podcast. Um, Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad we got to break this one down because, again, this movie is near and dear to both of us for, for really, really important reasons. Um, but before you go... You again. I mentioned this at the top of the, the the podcast, but you are involved in so many things. Can you plug or mention some of them right now? I can plug all of them. I have my fingers in a lot of pies. Uh, so my my main project right now is called Encounter Party. We are six professional voice actors and improv artists playing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign written by a playwright and novelist that's set inside the Magic the Gathering world of Ravnica. Uh, <laughs> our first season spent about eight weeks on Apple Podcast New and Noteworthy charts. Our second season has been trending for comedic fiction since the fourth episode. We released the twelfth episode yesterday as of this recording. Nope, this morning as of this recording whenever it's released it'll be farther down my second season um come check us out uh we take about three and a half hours of live dungeons and dragons with world-class storytellers Mm. and we edit it down to about 45 minutes to 50 minutes the idea being to just focus the experience on story and character inside a completely improv world um that's my main show. Um, I am currently in the process of bringing back the very first podcast I ever produced. It was called At the Table, a play reading series. We produced new plays from emerging playwrights with New York and Broadway actors as audio dramas um, and then would interview the playwrights about their work. In this time of self-isolation and um, 
coronavirus. There's a lot of out-of-work actors and playwrights making really interesting art. So we're looking to produce just small 10 to 20-minute pieces that are being written right now um, as audio dramas to see kind of what's going on and give some people some creative outlet. Um, my production company is called Charging Moose Media. Uh, we produce podcasts, music, web series. Our number one web series I'm still hoping someday I can convince you to do on this podcast. It's called The Hunted Encore. It's an action comedy, rock musical, mockumentary web series about New York City vampire slayers. Uh, <laughs> the, the second season... Uh, won over 70 awards at more than 50 festivals worldwide. We ranked fourth in the USA, 27th worldwide in the 2018 Web Series World Cup. Um, and uh, I highly recommend you check it out. Our soundtracks are available on iTunes and Amazon and Bandcamp if you want to buy. We appreciate it. Um, and then uh, lastly, I am the founder, uh, along with actor Tony Aiden Vo of Audition Cat. We're making new tech for actors. We're building a collection of career management tools for professional auditioning actors that uh, is currently in a closed beta, but we're hoping later in 2020 we'll be able to release it as a public beta for actors to test and use for their own work. And uh, I am the co-founder of The Turf Sports, a website of, of uh, artists and actors writing about sports. So what you're saying is you're just not busy. That's, that's I'm never what, busy. Right? Uh, and I, I, I have a job that pays my bills. I won't pretend like all those things pay my bills yet. <laughs> yet being the operative term. That's awesome. And where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? I am at Ned Donovan everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, N-E-D-D-O-N-O-V-A-N. I'm neddonovan.com if you want to read more about me. Uh, <laughs> fun anecdote. There's only like four of us Ned Donovans around, and I have all the at Ned Donovans everywhere. And uh, when I was in college, I got a Twitter message from another Ned Donovan who listed himself as a journalist in England, challenging me to a duel for all the at Ned Donovan at <laughs> tags. Uh, and I said no, and joke's on him now. He's Ned underscore Donovan. Shout out, go follow him. He's a good dude. Um, he's now much more successful than I am. And so people get angry at his articles and then they write me thinking that they're adding him um and he recently uh two more things he's rolled doll's grandson which Whoa. is cool and he just got engaged to a jordanian princess and so <laughs> there was a bunch of articles about this and i received multiple emails congratulating me on my engagement to a jordanian <laughs> journalist because i have um, the the easy Ned Donovan at Gmail left over from the beginning. And so like sometimes he accidentally sends me his own email because he forgets to put in the underscore or dot or whatever. And there's a there's a there's a college kid as well who has my name. Uh, I won't out his stuff because he's not famous in any way. Um, but he uh, often accidentally sends me his own like dinner reservations or like he'll sign up for a um, he'll like, order things online but accidentally put my email address in as the confirmation uh so this is a constant in my life but i am the true at ned donovan everywhere <laughs> <laughs> i love it you know Cool ways to meet new people and make new friends. Why not? There you go. Yeah, we have a. Uh, I remember when Pokemon Go came out, I signed up because I'm a big Pokemon nerd, and I got the at Ned Donovan like Pokemon account on Pokemon Go, <laughs> and he sent out a picture on Instagram like 20 minutes after I had signed up with a picture of him trying to sign up as at Ned Donovan, and it's saying this username's already taken, <laughs> and he tagged the like four of us that we know of in the world, and was like, which one of you? 
jerks <laughs> took it and i just shot back the like hand raise emoji love it love it oh my gosh good stuff well ned thank you again for joining us this week i really appreciate it and we're gonna have to do this again at some point hey i'm here uh i i love musical movies so i want to be in and to the listeners out there if you're looking for some content uh you know come find me online and i'll happily show you some of the cool weird 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 things we've been making over at charging moose media yes please do that please do that all right folks we'll we'll see you right here next week on the movie musical shakedown i hold a phd in horribleness see you at the aftermath peace i have a dream a song to sing Song to leave behind one day more.